0: message and our theme is on love. Uh, we're scrambling a little bit this morning with all the one night in Bethlehem uh, things that took place last night and that will take place tonight I want to thank in advance already all of you for uh, what you continue to, to offer uh, for the existence and operation of one night in Bethlehem especially uh, Crystal is she did she come to church this morning? I had given her a free pass, but uh, it's good to see you here this one, Crystal. No, I'm just thanking you. We had 446 visitors come through Bethlehem last night to hear and see uh, the gospel, 28 groups. And tonight, um, certainly expect that, that many more. We do need uh, villagers, volunteers just to mill about. If you're good at milling about... And I know there's some of you who are really good at milling about. Um, we'll provide you a costume. What if they come at, what time, 5.15 or so to the food pantry area and just walk around Bethlehem, do some shopping, uh, buy a brick or visit the blacksmith or something. Um, but in all sir- sincerity, we, we need people in Bethlehem. Um, we got great volunteers, and I appreciate everyone, every one of you. Uh, Wednesday night, a group of us, adults and children, are going Christmas caroling. Meet at the church at 6. We're going to visit a few homes in the community and uh, sing about, about Jesus. Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. We'll be taking that up today, next Sunday. And you can give to Lottie Moon at any time. Uh, just note that on your offering as you place it in the, the plates. Uh, but we will have people at the doors as you leave to take that up this morning. And then the Glenlock Student Christmas Party is Friday the 20th at Bryson's house. So students, uh, please make note of that. And then next Sunday morning, as part of our worship service, the choir will do some of what they shared last Sunday night, and it was absolutely excellent. We're going to be blessed again with an opportunity to hear more next Sunday morning. So join us for uh, next Sunday morning also. I'm going to ask our Deacon of the Week, Mr. Ellis Dennis, if he would come. And uh, why don't you go ahead and stand, because after he reads, we're going to sing uh, and celebrate the birth of Christ.
1: First, I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I want to read John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Thank you.
2: Good morning funny how things like throw stuff off we're like sitting up here we had one night in Bethlehem last night so everything's just kind of all over the place it's a fun morning we're going to begin worshiping this morning with singing the first noel You'll stand. We're going to continue to worship together this morning. We're going to sing in Christ alone. this morning of how great and how vast and how encompassing your love is, God. Lord, a love that um, surpasses all of our understanding and comprehension, God. A love so great that um, you didn't just send us a Savior in a time that we needed him, God, but you sent him as a babe to be born in a manger, God in the simplest of ways, Lord, so that he would be no different than anyone else, God, so that he could go forth and live a perfect life to be an example of us, God. And, Lord, I know that we'll always fall short and we'll never be perfect, God, but what um, what a mission to strive for, God, is just be more like Jesus every day, God. During this holiday season, I pray that our actions and our words and our emotions and even our facial expressions, God, are reminding everyone around us of your great love, God. And that you are the reason for this season, God. We just pray that you open up our hearts right now and clear our conscience of anything that may stand in the way of you moving this, uh, just moving boundaries this morning, God, and um, just moving our hearts and moving this place. Speak through Pastor Neil this morning. We just love you and praise you and thank you so much in Jesus' name. I pray, Amen. You may be seated, and the kids can come down for the lighting of the Advent candles.
0: Yeah, if the children would come forward uh, again this Sunday morning, uh, the third Sunday of Advent, we will light the candle of love. And don't forget, on December the 24th, Christmas Eve, we will have a Christmas Eve service that will include communion and candlelight and the lighting of the last uh, candle, which is the white one, which is the Christ candle. So we'll review real quick, uh, guys, the, the wreath that's green. Reminds us of the eternal nature of Christ. Uh, The three purple candles are representative of His royalty, because purple is the was the symbol or color for um, a king. And then the pink candle, we'll light that next week as we talk about the joy that Christ brings. But can you remember the first week's candle? That's close. That's next week. Hope. There you go. Thank you, Brayden. Hope. And then last week was peace. Yeah. And then what did I say today was? King was today's love. The whole point of Christ's coming was to demonstrate God's love for us. And then the white one is the Christ candle. And we'll light that Christmas Eve, and the pink one is the candle of joy, and that's next week. So let's pray, and then you can go to Children's Church. Father, thank you for these wonderful, beautiful children, and thank you for loving all of us. Thank you for loving them and and teaching us through Christ about all that you are and all that you've done and promised to do for us through his work. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, you may go. All right, the rest of us, let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, Today's topic, love. There truly is an infinite amount of passages that I could have chosen today to preach on and to explain a bit of the love of God. The whole Bible is a love story about how God created us and we've fallen and sinned against Him, rejected His love, rejected His authority. God knew this all in advance and loved us anyway. And so Christmas really could be summed up by something like this. God's love came down to us to rescue us and save us. John, of course, was the beloved disciple. He leaned upon the breast, breast, chest of Christ, the breast of Christ, John says, and, and just had this deep personal intimate relationship with his Lord. So when you read his gospel, you find verses like Mr. Ellis read, read that you know, talk about how God loved the world and gave his only begotten Son. In 1 John, he expands on the themes of his gospel even clearer, in, in a clearer and greater way. And if you're ever struggling with whether or not God loves you, Read his personal letter, God's personal love letter to each of us in 1 John. I want to pick up with verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4. Of course, all the Christmas hymns are full of references to God's love. The great hymn writer Isaac Watts, who, you you could just stand up here and quote Isaac Watts and preach a really good message, but One phrase you've sung and and heard, From Joy to the World, He rules the world with truth and grace. And He makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and and wonders of His love. And wonders of His love, and wonders of His love, and wonders of His love, right? I don't want to go that far, but he repeats it. <laughs> Bryson liked that far. He repeats it because his love truly is wonderful. So what I want to do this morning is open up a bit of the wonders of the love of God, knowing that we will never exhaust the wonders of his love. In fact, all of eternity will be that, that we will discover in eternity more of the riches of His loving kindness toward us. That's part of what we will do uh, with the eternity to come. So, 1 John 4, 7. Look at that first word, beloved, beloved. John, the beloved disciple, tells us that God loves you as He loved me. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God. And knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us. Uh, Most commentators believe a better interpretation of the Greek than the New American Standard has there is by this the love of God was manifested on our behalf. It's in us, but it was for us. It was on our behalf. So how do we know God loves us? What's He done to demonstrate that to us on our behalf? Well, here it is in verse 9. God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit, and we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. You notice the re- repetitive. Phrase there. There's this supernatural dynamic living relationship that if you're loving God and loving people, God lives in you and you live in God. Can I fully explain that? No. Uh, a bit of that is, 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 is a mystery, but nevertheless, it is true. By this, I'm in verse 17 now. By this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. The one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's lying. He is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Father, again, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that it drives out all fear, all insecurity, all sense of judgment to come because we know that Christ has borne the judgment that we deserved. Thank you, God, for freeing us up to truly love, to die to self, to have nothing to prove, nothing really to gain, because you've already given us eternal life and the kingdom to come. Thank you for this church and how this church demonstrates regularly, and may we continue to strive to do so in a greater way to be a place where love abounds. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Glenlock Baptist Church, a place where what? Love abounds. For nearly my entire ministry that's been something that we have focused on and talked about and reminded ourselves of and it is the heart of the gospel and the heart of scripture. What are the wonders of his love? If we had days we couldn't fully Explain everything that John, the beloved disciple, says about Christ and God and His love. So I'm just going to pull from this text that we have before us uh, three main ideas. Three aspects, maybe, we could say, of the wonders of His love. And those three things are the person of love. Of course, that's God. Then you have the power of love. That's God's love to us that saves us and rescues us. And then you've got the practice of love, which is what we are commanded to do in response to His love for us. So let's talk first about God. What's He like? Who is He? If we bear the image of God and if we are created by God, how do we know who God is and what He's like? One thing you can guarantee, and that's God is love. And that's not everything that he is, but the driving force behind everything that he does is, is love. John repeated this just in the section that I read that God is love. So we ought to be amazed that the creator of the universe has at the core of his being, in his heart of hearts, his glory is His love. So we have, and some people do, misunderstand God, don't we? Sometimes we misinterpret His discipline or His judgment or some of the situations and circumstances He puts us through. But we can rest assured that however God is treating us and however it feels, we know that it's driven by what? By love. It's the essence of his being. This also proves that he's personal and he's relational. If he's loved, then he's personal and he's relational. John says that he's the source of love. If you have ever loved anybody or anything, that goodness comes from God. John says it in verse 7, love is from God. He also says, if you're born of God, you will love. If you are born again and born from above, you are born again by love for love. If you know God, he says in verse 8, then you will be loving. So we could think and turn over in our hearts and minds the, the glory of his love. Remember when God was dealing with Moses... And Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. And God basically says, Moses, you're too human and too sinful to be faced with my glory. It would completely obliterate you. But I'll hide you in a rock. And you can see the after effects of my glory, but I'm going to shield you from its intensity by hiding you in a rock. And God declared as his after effects glowed, God declared to Moses that his glory was what? His compassion and his grace and his love. God is many things, but when he demonstrates his glory, his glory is his love. God has a master's degree in everything, but his Ph.D. is in love. It's what drives and, and 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 supersedes everything that he is and everything that he does. One of the things that makes me so unglorious and sinful is that my love is, is very different from God's. God's love is unlimited. It's free from all limitations of space and time and resources. His love is omnipresent and omnipotent. His love is eternal. It's not moody shifty, variable, fitful, fluctuating? Man, my love for you may go up and down like a roller coaster through the course of half a day. Does he love me or does he love me not? We never need wonder that about God. His love is unlimited, it's eternal, and his love is pure. Meaning God's love for us is, is kind of like a parent's love in, in other words, we love our children because, and, and, and a demonstration of love is, we want what's best for them, or what we consider to be best. God doesn't wonder. He knows. He desires holiness in us. So, J.I. Packer says, Scripture does not allow us to suppose that because, quote, God is love... We may look to him to confer happiness on people who don't seek holiness or to shield his loved ones from trouble. Listen to this. When he knows that they need trouble to further their sanctification. That's why God is love, but it may not at times feel like love because he's appointed trouble and difficulty because God also loves what holiness. And he knows that's what's best for us. He's concerned about our... So we're created in God's image, and that's why we have a need both to receive love and give love. In fact, what's the greatest commandment in all the universe? What's the central law of both the universe and of life? Well, Jesus explained the Ten Commandments. He said the Ten Commandments could be summed up with two commands, and one is to love the Lord our God, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and being, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So you take the first five commandments, they are ways that we love vertically, the ways we love God. You take the last five commandments, and without detailing those out, they are ways that we are to express love to other people. So you and I were made by the God who is love, so we were made to give love, and we were made to receive love. And Paul later says that if you don't have that, you don't have anything, no matter what else you may have in life. We were created to know and receive and give love, especially the grace and favor we get from God. Now, a couple of weeks ago, it was the Friday before Thanksgiving, I had a brief stint as a substitute school teacher. My son, Bennett, is not three, as I said last week. He's actually in the third grade. (laughs) And to bless the teachers, they let all the teachers have about an hour and a half off for a Thanksgiving lunch. And I volunteered to be a substitute third grade teacher for a block of about two hours on the Friday before Thanksgiving. And all I had to do was start the movie Toy Story 2 and sit back in the teacher's desk and just watch it all unfold. Well, if you've ever tried to sit with a group of third third graders and, and sit through a movie, even one as good as Toy Story, the movie doesn't really capture all their attention for the entire two hours. So after about an hour and a half, they're done. I mean, they're ready to do something else. So fortunately, the teacher had assigned some busy work. There was a sheet of paper that was made available to all the students that really was an exercise in creativity. They were to complete some lines and draw some pictures, and I don't remember all the details of the assignment. That's kind of beside the point. But man, after about an hour and a half, Toy Story's not even over, and almost every child is working on the creative assignment. Well, the first child that got through was a third-grade girl, and she comes up to my desk, and she puts the assignment on my desk and doesn't say anything, but looking back on it, she was wanting me to approve it. (laughs) And so, you know me, what I did was I just kind of glanced at it and I said, well, when your teacher comes back, show it to her. (laughs) What an awful thing to say in retrospect. Because after my brief interaction with her, I gave her work back to her, and she goes and she sits down, and then in a couple of minutes, another student comes up to the desk with his work, and he puts it in front of me. And I said, that's really good. You did wonderful. Gave him his work, he sits back down. I kid you not, every child began to do that very same thing, and I realized eventually what was going on. And the original student that I turned away, she came back, and boy, did I praise her the second time. (laughs) And what was going on is what's going on. And what's going on is that every single one of us have within us this God-sized and God-shaped desire to know that we are loved and favored and approved of. There's something in the universe called love that exists that, 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 that all fell apart, okay, in the, in the garden and, and ever since then, every single one of us, as the boss said, we've got a hungry heart. And you could look at us and explain a lot of our behaviors, both positive and negative. And the negative ones, the sinful ones, yeah, there's a country song for that one too. Looking for love in all the wrong places because if God is love then what that means is that being created in him in his image by him and for him you and I will never ever find the love that we're looking for till we find rightness with God I could go on and on but man his love is pure it's eternal it's sufficient it's everlasting just think about everything the bible says about his love That's what you and I desire. And and here's what happens. When we don't get the love that we need from our core family early on in life, man, we start looking and searching. And, And ultimately, what we're all searching for is perfect love, and John talks about that. We are searching for a perfect love which will do what? Drive out all our fear. So above nearly every nativity that exists concerning Christmas right above it ought to be fear not that brings me to my second point the person of love is wonderful perfect in every way think about the power of love the power of love There is a love that is stronger than sin, it's stronger than death, it's stronger than hell, it's stronger than guilt, it's stronger than insecurity and loneliness. And love has come down to us in Christ. Now, we have to realize some things. When When you talk about the power of love and how John says God's love has been manifested on our behalf, The basic first principle is that we've got to know who we are. And John tells us who we are. Before you can really appreciate the power of God's love, we've got to know, and he says it in verse 10, not that we loved God. What that means is is that you and I are fallen, rebellious creatures. We were created to love God. That's the great core commandment of the universe. But guess what? By nature, we don't love God. We haven't loved God. What have we loved? Well, The essence of sin is to love yourself. To be curved in on yourself and to be all about you rather than all about Him. We have failed in what we were created and commanded to do because we love ourselves more than we love God. We love ourselves more than we love other people. That's what it means to be a sinner who's fallen short of his glory. We failed to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And we've even failed beyond that to love our neighbor as ourselves. Which is why the wonder of this powerful love is that Paul says this in another place. Paul and Peter and John, they all agree about the love of God while we were Sinners. While we were enemies, God demonstrated His love for us in that He gave His Son. I could walk you through what John says, but He came so that we might live through Him. Which means, because I'm a sinner, I'm dead apart from Him. He came to give me life, a life that would not only live, but love. The soul that sins will die. The wages of sin is death. We were born dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were helpless. So let's think for a minute. What does a rebellious dead sinner deserve? What have we merited? What are we owed? We're we're owed nothing but judgment and condemnation. Uh, Theologically, we deserve hell. That's what we've earned because we were rebellious. Lawbreakers, dead to God, not loving God. But here's the action that love takes. It's what the Christmas story is. It's what the incarnation is. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Father sent the Son to save us. Verse 19 says that He went first. I love verse 19. He first loved us. When did he go first? In eternity past. He knew everything about you, past, present, and future, and chose to love you anyway. Not only chose to love you and love you first without waiting on you to fix yourself or to love him back because you didn't love him, and God sends his very best. Love does its very best. God sent who? His son. Born of a virgin? Born in a feed trough, born as a vulnerable baby, in smoky Bethlehem, <laughs> right? But not only did he just send his son in demonstration of his love, but there's a word here that is so rich. at the, Near the end of verse 10, what is a propitiation? That sounds like a preacher's word. That sounds like a theologian's word. It ought to be the word for every disciple. Because the Son became a wrath-bearing sacrifice for us in our place to atone, not only for our sins, but the punishment from God that our sins deserved. Satisfying the justice of God And demonstrating in the same process the love of God. Why do you think in Gethsemane, he said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. A propitiatory sacrifice was love sacrificing, because that's what love does, but love also bearing punishment that we deserved when he was absolutely sinless and didn't deserve it. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That's what the love of God says to us from the cross as a propitiation. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's what love says from the cross as Jesus becomes a propitiation. So momentarily, he did without what he had enjoyed forever in eternity past with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus experienced momentarily, instead of the favor and love from the Father, He experienced punishment and wrath from the Father for you and for me. God made the one who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. According to John in the whole Bible, He did this out of love. That's why we have a cross in Bethlehem. The cross becomes the very reason for which the child was born. This child was born to die as a propitiation. So who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money. Not the Jews out of envy. Not Pilate for fear. But, but the Father. The Father loved us and delivered up His Son to die on our behalf. This is both mercy and mercy. God withholding what we deserve, which is hell and judgment, and it's grace. God gives us the righteousness that he has and that Jesus has as favor, as grace. We get eternal life and everything that comes with it. That's why Jesus told his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that he does what he lays down his life for his friends. And he said this, you didn't choose me but I chose you, you didn't choose me, but I chose you uh, to be my disciples. And what that is, is love. His prayer in John 17 is that the same love which the Father loved me may be in them and I in them. That means what we get from what Christ has done for us is, this is amazing, the same love that God has for Jesus. Imagine how much God loves Jesus. He said it, declared it before everybody. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son and I'm I'm pleased with him. The same love he has for Jesus he has for you and for me. So almost every Christmas I tell the story about the worst kid in the class getting the best gift of all. (laughs) I'm not going to retell it, but I'm going to say it. That's true for every single one of us. What's happened at Christmas is the worst get the best. He's chosen us before the foundation of the world. He's adopted us into his family, into his son. And the sufficient sovereign love that we crave has been met for us in Christ. Does he love us? Absolutely, because he chose us. We didn't choose him, he chose us first. If we love him, he loved us first. The college football world was amazed this week because a new coach had been hired from the University of Georgia, he went to Arkansas, and he wanted to make a real good impression on his team. He wanted his team to know that he was all in and that he cared about these guys. And so Sam Pittman stood up before his team, and he says, you guys didn't choose me, I chose you. (laughs) And the world said, whoa, man, that sounds so cool. The Christian knows that that's what God has said about us since eternity past. So if he knew you and he chose you, how's he ever going to let you go? He's not. The song we sang earlier said it. I'm in his hands and he'll never let me go. He knows the worst about me and he's given me his very best. And John says you need to believe this. He says we've come to know and believe. You need to believe it. You need to experience it. How do I experience it? Felt Christianity is that the love of God has been poured out within us through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Spirit brings it into our lives as, as not only felt Christianity, but powerful Christianity. We believe it, and he has poured it out within us For for several reasons, I'll get to the main one in just a second. We need to celebrate it. Why is there so much singing in the Gospels surrounding the birth of Christ? Because they're singing about his amazing love. The song of Mary, the song of Zechariah. It's all singing about his salvation and his mercy and his rescue. We need to believe it, experience it, celebrate it, and rely upon it. It is what I need to bank on and trust in every day of my life. Jesus puts it like this, I need to abide in it. I need to rest in it. I'm more than a conqueror because he loved us through him who loved us. That's what Romans 8 says. So there's the wonder of the person of his love. There's the wonder of the power of his love. Now let's get practical where we really struggle. There's the wonder of the practice of his love. In fact, that's why John says what he says. Listen, this group of Christians is having difficulty loving other people that should not surprise you because to dwell above with saints in love yes that will be glory but to dwell below with the saints I know now that's another story we're not in heaven yet and so here's what was happening John says this how can some of you see your brothers and sisters in need You see their need, yet you don't give them the food and the clothes they need. He says, how can you hate your brother and confess to love God at the same time? It goes against everything the gospel is. The gospel is God sacrificing and giving himself up completely to meet your basic needs. Maybe you've forgotten how needy you were. You turn your back on the poor. You despise the needy. You think you deserve something that they don't. You think I'm making this up. But in 1 John 3, 15, John tells them, If you hate your brother, you're a murderer. No murderer has eternal life in him. He laid down his life for you. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If you have the world's goods, and you see your brother in need, and you close your heart, How does it love? So what that tells me is that these people were struggling with love. And let's be honest. We're sinners. That means we're difficult to love and we're difficult to give love. That's the essence of sin. So John says, let us love one another. John says, we ought to love one another. John says, if we love one another. John says, you cannot claim to love God who you can't see and and not love your brother whom you do see. If you love God, you should love your brother. I'm repeating what he said just in the portion I read. When love like God God loves, when love from God is practiced in a real way in the world we live in, It's radically different. Jesus said this in the sermon. You don't need God to love people that love you. He said that. The Gentiles, even they they, they love people who love them. The question is, can you love your enemies? Can you love those who hate you? Can you love those who despise you? Jesus said, that's transforming love. That's agape love. That's love that is 1 Corinthians 13 love. That's love that is patient and kind, and does not envy, and does not boast. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. This is how they know you're my disciples. Fervently love one another from the heart. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Peter repeats it as well. Be kind to other people, tenderhearted, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Walk in love. In the whole New Testament, love each other the way God has loved you as a way of demonstrating the reality that he loved you and saved you and lives within you. So, how's your love different? Picture the most difficult person in your life to love right now. Can you picture that person? Some of you are like, I see several people. (laughs) Well, picture those several people. Why are you having so much difficulty loving them in light of God's love for you? That's that's your question. That's that's my question. A lady came out of the empty tomb last night, which is my portion of the story. I'm gonna close this. I'm gonna ask some practical questions, though, so don't get too excited. There was a lady that lives in our community, she doesn't attend this church but she lives in our community. I'm not going to give it away. Some of you would know her. She comes through after her tour of Bethlehem, and she says, Neil, I just want you to know that I'm completely amazed. She says, I come through this every year, and I'm amazed every year, but let me tell you what I did this summer. This summer, I was out here with my children playing at the playground, and we wandered down to Bethlehem. Jeff knows what's coming because he did a lot of this love for God kind of work. She said it was all grown up. There were weeds and briars and all this stuff in the middle of the summer. And I thought to myself, there is no way that they're going to be ready for Bethlehem. It is an absolute mess. She says, I was amazed before. But tonight, everything was perfect. It was immaculate. What a difference. How amazing. I thought, yeah, if you see something in its worst condition and how it can be transformed, that is amazing, isn't it? You know what God says is amazing? When you take cold, Hearted sinners and you turn them into by the grace of the work of jesus and the spirit's work in our in our heart when you turn them into people who are good and mature at loving oh not just the people who they consider good and on their side i'm talking about loving people who are hateful and enemies man when you when you got a person like that that points to god That points to his worth. So let's meet as a small group right here. We got time, okay? I've read a book by J.I. Packer at least three or four times in my life. He's got a book entitled Knowing God. There's a chapter on the love of God. If you've never read Packer, Paul Sackerson can attest, it's just amazing. He talks about the love of God, which much of, he says, is, is, is a lot that First John 4 says. I, I want to close with this. We're in a small group now, and it's just me and a couple of you, and we're talking about how do we pray for mature love that is amazing. It glorifies God. It points to Christ. Packer says this about his amazing love. Is it true that God is love to me as a Christian? And does the love of God mean all that has been said about it that it means? If so, certain questions arise. And this was both convicting and encouraging. Why do I ever grumble and show discontent and resentment at the circumstances in which God has placed me? Why do I grumble and resent Why am I ever distrustful, fearful, or depressed? Why do I ever allow myself to grow cold and formal and half-hearted in the service of the God who loves me so? Why do I ever allow my loyalties to be divided so that God has not all my heart? And then this is it. Could an observer learn from the quality and degree of love that I show to others, my wife, my husband, my family, my neighbors, people at church, people at work, could they learn from the quality and degree of my love anything about the greatness of God's love to me? And then I wrote in this book, is there anything surprising or shocking or radical or different about my love? Or do I only love the people who love me? Questions for every single one of us Christmas is God's love coming down. Be in all the person of love, the power of love, but let others be in all about the practice of his love. Father, thank you for loving us and forgiving us paying a debt that we could never pay living the life that we should have lived and dying a death that we deserve to die as Paul said I'm crucified with Christ therefore I no longer live but Christ lives in me and he gave himself up for me out of love for me may each one of us personalize that and and mature in that kind of love every day as a means of expressing your worth our gratitude thank you father for the opportunities you give us to love and forgive in jesus name amen let's stand and sing oh come all ye faithful
3: I'd like to say before I, I pray that, uh, you know, Jeff and Crystal and uh, Miss Lois and Randy, they they done a whole bunch of stuff, you know, at Bethlehem. And uh, I, I was thinking about, you know, what you know Neil was talking about. And when he read the scripture, boy, I, I just I felt guilty. And the reason I felt guilty, these times when, you know, I'm not loving my brother like I'm supposed to, you know. Yeah, I know my brother's doing something, I need to be helping. Well maybe I'm watching the forensic files or looking for a deer that that don't come out to three o'clock in the morning because I see him on my camera. You know, this kind of thing. And uh, but God is good, but I, I just want to say you guys did a good job and and it's real it's real stressful. Yeah, I know it is and I wouldn't want it on me, but y'all guys have done a really good job. So let's let's let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your kindness and mercy and especially for your love, what what the subject was today. God, uh, I pray you'd forgive me when times where I hadn't loved my my brother like I was supposed to. God, maybe I, I walked away when somebody was having trouble and I secretly laughed thinking they get what they get, God, and you ain't done me that way. You've always been good and kind to me. God, um, I just love you, and I, I, I praise your name, God, and, and uh, I just I just pray, Lord, that uh, you'd always love us, and, and we'd always love you. The things I ask in the name of Jesus, amen.
0: stand for our benediction. hey one thing uh, Glenlock is sponsoring grief share through the holidays at Martin and Tower in Carrollton um, I think Kim said that the times were maybe 12 and 4 a uh, Wednesday if you're interested at all in that program uh, especially in the holidays very difficult time for some people there's a program available that is excellent to help you through that um, let me or Kim Harper know and she can get you plugged into what's going on at Martin and High Tower. There's a ministry for us during the holidays. So she did want me to announce that. Now come and lead us in our benediction.
2: Hey, 20 minutes until 12 o'clock. I have a challenge for you. Before 12 o'clock, call, text, tweet, snap, somebody, and invite them to one night in Bethlehem tonight and bless them that way. Let's sing Go Tell It on the Mountain together. Go, tell it on the
4: mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go, tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born.
2: We'll see y'all this evening at five.